BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, and welcome to The Bay. Local news to keep you rooted. Fires are just part of our lives as Californians, and the way we talk about them matters. So today, we're going to share a conversation that Devin Katayama had last year with one of the people that I trust most when it comes to wildfires in the state, KQED climate reporter Danielle Venton. Devin talked with Danielle about the flawed ways that we've been thinking and talking about fires in the state and how that needs to change if we're going to do something about it. That's coming up right after this break. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. I have been covering nearly every fire season since 2015. Uh, That was the first fire season that really made a big impression on me. Danielle Venton is a reporter for KQED Science. I think now I just expect it. I know that at a certain time of year, there's going to be big fires. And for the first maybe two or three years, it kind of felt like a fluke. It doesn't feel like a fluke anymore. It feels inevitable. And I feel like this script is pretty is pretty played out at this point. Like, you know what to do when a fire happens. And so when did you start to think that we need to be talking about fires in a different way? I would say even before 2018, and that truly catastrophic year where we had the car fire that blew into Redding and the campfire that destroyed the town of Paradise. 
It was just clear that year after year we're seeing these absurd fires. We need to do some big rethinking about the state's relationship with fires. We might talk about being at war with fire, or we saw big dramatic headlines like, the West is burning. And that really indicates to me that we haven't gotten over the idea that all fire is bad and that Western forests are not supposed to burn. Um, and that comes from you know more than a century of fire suppression and being taught things like only you can prevent forest fires. We need to talk more often about how trying to prevent forest fires has made them a lot worse. And I think the media has a role to play in this, but I also think that we as the news media are influenced as much as we influence how people talk about fires. There have been a few things that I've been thinking about that we could change how we're talking about fires. To start off with, we in the media could change how we talk about containment, acres, and just numbers in general. When we talk about a fire, and I do this too, you know, we first say how many acres it's burned and how contained it is. It's 100,000 acres and it's 20% contained. What does containment not tell us? I mean, it doesn't tell us whether the fire is responding to firefighter efforts. If the fire is burning in a healthy way, in a place where it's doing ecological good, a fire could be 15% contained, and that doesn't tell you that it's catastrophic necessarily. If thousands and thousands of firefighters are working very hard to put out a fire quickly and they can't get any containment around it, well, then that is cause for worry. But just the percentage containment doesn't really tell you what you need to know. So what would you prioritize then? I would prioritize metrics like how many people are being evacuated. Is it threatening towns? Is it burning in a way that is out of control? And that, you know, how many firefighters are involved in the firefight? When did they last have a break? Those are some of the metrics that I would like to also be included. I'm not saying that we shouldn't talk about acreage and, and percent containment. Second, I think we need to talk a lot more about smoke. Smoke is really its own natural disaster. Wildfire smoke is likely the number one way Californians will feel the effects of fires and really the effects of climate change. I reported on some research last December that looked at the 2018 fire season, which saw the car fire in Shasta County and saw the campfire in Butte County, which nearly wiped out the town of Paradise. Officially, those fires killed 106 people. And that's an enormous number, and that is a tragedy. But researchers estimated that when you look at the literal downwind effects of all of that wildfire smoke, that those fires through the smoke killed 3,600 people. 30 times more through things like heart attack or respiratory illness. I mean, even today, as we're taping this, some of that smoke from Northern California has blown into a lot of the Bay Area. And, and we all remember last year when the sky turned orange, that horrible day. But what would you change in the way that we talk about smoke or think about smoke? I think it's important to know that 
crystal clear skies are not the historical norm in California, and they're not necessarily desirable. Don't get me wrong. I hate wildfire smoke. I want clean air. But one of the answers to our large-scale catastrophic fires would be to dramatically scale up the amount of controlled and prescribed fire. So a little bit of smoke, we should not worry about. It's the really heavy, toxic smoke when homes and cars, and that's that's the really bad smoke. And, you know, traditionally, we used to burn about a two-mile radius around our where, where we had permanent houses. Karuk people had lived in permanent houses longer ago. Bill Tripp is a Karuk tribal member who tries to get more good fire on the ground in the Klamath Basin. And here's what he had to say about this. So, you know, the historical record says it shows that the forest looked like a well-pruned orchard um, with a constant haze of smoke in the air. And so, um, you know, that haze, that constant haze is part of that natural background. And that's what people don't understand. Are there any conversations that you found helpful um, or, or like media coverage about smoke that you've seen? I think we're still in the early days of seeing kind of really refined conversations and coverage about smoke because it's just a it's a natural disaster that we are not quite used to dealing with. And we're not at great at measuring all of the effects yet. So. The conversations that we are having right now and the conversations that we need to have right now are really at this practical level. Where do you go for air quality information and forecasts? What masks do you wear? What air filters do you need to get? How can you make your own air filter if you can't afford one or if the store is sold out? Yeah, it's like news you can use. Totally. Okay, so we talked about language, we've talked about smoke. What else is on your list? Well, I think third, we need to think about our workforce and what we're putting our firefighters through. And are there better ways to invest in people who are involved in how we deal with fires? I think calling people heroes is not necessarily productive. Hmm. Why is that? The work of firefighters is so difficult. And when you're talking about federal firefighters, the people working for the Forest Service, for the Bureau of Indian Affairs, for the Bureau of Land Management, the Park Service, these people aren't paid well. Until this year, the base rate for a firefighter, they they are technically called forestry technicians, um, was $13 an hour. President Biden bumped that up to $15 an hour. But still, most of the livable wage comes from overtime, meaning that people rely on it, meaning that they feel like it's never okay to say no to an assignment. So during fire season, they're incredibly overworked. They're disconnected from their families. It means that people with kids are either, you know, away from their kids or are home and worried about money. You know, and I would much rather they be fairly paid and fairly treated professionals. And the hero narrative feeds into this thing I see in our culture that I don't like. And that is that I believe we value coming to the rescue more than preventing problems in the first place. Honestly, it sounds a lot like the the stories and the images that we've been seeing with essential workers and with healthcare during COVID. I think that's exactly right. 
I would like the work of everyone who tries to prevent catastrophic fires to be just as valued as the people who try to extinguish fires. I'm thinking of the town of Shaver Lake, where a history of treating lands owned by a utility, Southern California Edison, and a history of the, this fire community putting in fire breaks, doing prescribed fires, slowed the fire down enough that firefighters could, it was safe to take a stand and they saved the town. And the firefighters were regarded as heroes, but I would argue that the people who had spent a decade or more trying to do that work were also heroes because they laid the conditions for that town to be saved. Let's look forward a little bit. What's been on your mind in terms of how we think about solutions? Fourth, and I think probably most importantly, we need to acknowledge that just one solution is not going to get us out of this problem, is not going to save us. It's just very easy to kind of, you know, understand one part of the fire problem and kind of cling to that. So every time I do um, a story about some aspect of fire resilience, I get tweeted at, um, you know, good naturedly. Uh, you know, what you really should be talking about is home hardening. Hmm. Or, you know, if I talk about um, forest management, someone, people will say, like, you really, you forgot to talk about climate change. <laughs> or if it's about home hardening, it'll be, people say, you know, you really need to talk about forest management. Yeah, yeah. And so we need to pay attention to all aspects of the fire problem and we need to take care of it on all fronts. There is no single solution that is the trick. Better communications, all that is so important. I've spoken with Scott Stevens, the fire researcher at Berkeley, about this. We can do things like restoration burning. We can do some things like restoration um, thinning so we can maybe reduce fire hazard, get fire back on the landscape. So we can do a lot of things in this state to really make a difference. You know, it's going to take time. So I think in some ways, it really, there is some hope to do this, but we really have to think about this and move a little bit decisively. I sometimes see attention being given to um, pointing out where mitigation work, where attempts to prevent catastrophic fires has failed. For example, you know, oh, there was a fire break here that was supposed to stop a fire and it didn't work. The fire blew past it. Of course, some fires are not going to respond to a fire break. That doesn't mean it's not worth it. I think by way of an analogy, we're all pretty familiar with cars and car safety. In the 50s, cars were incredibly dangerous, and if you got in an accident, you were very likely to be really hurt, maybe die. And now cars are a lot safer. We have seatbelts, we have crumple zones, we have airbags. We have all of those things, and it makes our cars a lot safer, and in a really bad accident, you you can still die. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't wear your seatbelt just because people can die in car accidents. There's no guarantees. Does that make it hard to report on fires? Because there are so many things that need to happen, you know, in sync to, to really do what's what needs to be done? There's just, it's a multifaceted, very complicated, constantly evolving problem. The solutions are constantly evolving too, but you know, our catastrophic fires are a human caused problem. That means that humans can be part of the solution. All of that being said, it's a complicated problem. So the solutions are going to be equally complicated. I 
I know you've been reporting on fires uh, for years, while at the same time you're also thinking about how to kind of change the conversations about fires. You know, we've talked about language, for example, and, and thinking about multiple solutions, not just one. What do you hope is the end result of shifting, hopefully, the way we talk about fires in this state? I want us to have a better relationship with fire in this state so that this state continues to be habitable and a wonderful place to live. Everything would be better if we could have a better relationship with fires. Our ecosystems would be healthier, our lungs would be healthier, our communities would not have to live in so much fear. We're a long way from there. We need a lot of investment in a lot of areas, but it doesn't mean it's not possible. And so if I could do anything to try to help the conversation towards those solutions, that's what I want to do. Danielle, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Devin. That was Danielle Venton speaking with our former host, Devin Karayama, in August of last year. This episode of The Bay was produced by Alan Montecilio and Christopher Beale. If you like this episode... I think you should maybe send it to a friend. Maybe switching up the way you talk with your friends and family about wildfires is a perfect place to start shifting how we think about wildfires in California. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great weekend, y'all. Peace. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing. Please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.